starting a new series today, Walking in the Footsteps uh, of Jesus, looking at the lives uh, that the life of Jesus uh, touched. So it's Mark chapter 4, and begin to read from verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? You still have no faith. They were terrified. And asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you will not torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. A legion was made up of about 5,000 soldiers. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Go figure, eh? As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been a demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's the ten cities east of the Jordan, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. When Jesus again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed 
and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. And I'm sure it was a chocolate biscuit. <laughs> 24 hours. 24 hours in the life of Jesus. Remarkable. Uh, can you turn to that passage in Mark chapter 4, please? We're in this series walking in his footsteps where we're looking at the lives that Jesus touched uh, I guess um, a lot of us are here this morning because Jesus has touched our life and uh, for some of us that's not that long ago for some of us it's a long time uh, ago uh, but our testimony is the same we've met with the living Lord Jesus Christ and uh, he has blessed us more than we could ever have imagined. I want you to um, come with me to verse 36. Uh, because, and you're going to need to follow along in your Bible because they're not coming up on the screen. Okay? Um, but this, um, this sentence, uh, it, it just grabbed my attention. And uh, we're going to stay with it for a little while. Uh, in Mark 4:36, it says, Leaving the crowd behind... They took Jesus along, just as he was in the boat. 
And it's that phrase, leaving the crowd behind. Because if you want Jesus to meaningfully affect your life, that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to leave the crowd behind. It's quite remarkable how obsessed we seem to be with crowds. Um, I, uh, in my news feeds, I kept getting updates about the big fight that was happening last night in London, that there was going to be 90,000 people filling Wembley. Um, it seemed such a big deal, because crowds, the more the crowd, you know, the bigger the event. But it doesn't just relate out there. Actually, often ministers will say to another minister they've never met before, how many people go to your church? As if crowds really matter. Some years ago, um, when uh, we had a men's convention in Cardiff, and uh, I, I, I must be honest, I thoroughly enjoyed going to them, but one of the key leaders uh, in that movement uh, said to me one year, he said, Dave, he said, we had 600 men this year. Next year, we're going for 1,000. I knew where he was going. He just wanted to see men with their bums on the seats. But I'm just thinking, I wonder what transactions happened with the men that, that went. You see, Jesus was never that impacted by crowds. He was surrounded by crowds for lots of his ministry. But in Mark chapter 6, I've tried to take as many of my my references from Mark's gospel this morning. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He saw the crowds. Uh, He wasn't impressed by them, but what he saw were people like sheep without a shepherd. I must be honest, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm finding it fascinating at the moment seeing young girls walking down the street with jeans uh, with holes in their knees. Have have you seen them? They're everywhere, okay? And uh, and I'm looking and I'm thinking, oh my God, talk about sheep, all right, okay? This whole fashion thing, you know, some sort of celebrity does it, and all of a sudden people cut holes in their knees, all right, okay? And uh, before I actually get whatever about this generation, I was thinking about the platform shoes, shoes I used to wear when I was a lot lighter than the same height, and I looked like something swaying in the wind. On my platform shoes, I was about seven foot fifteen at that time, um, and I remember I was in London, and one of the platforms came off one of the shoes, and I had to walk. I had to walk with my foot on the pavement, and the other one on the other side, so I could actually uh, get by. Uh, and what about the Oxford bags? Everybody had the Oxford bags. You know, do you remember them? Uh, like sheep, we are so like sheep, aren't we? Uh, it is quite remarkable. Crowd-pleasing, peer pressure. These are phrases that we're aware of, but they can be deadly. Let's go right towards the end of Mark's gospel, Mark 15 and verse 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. I want to say to you again, if you want an encounter with Jesus, you've got to leave the crowd behind. I've shared with you on many occasions that it was the power of the crowd that really hampered me giving my life to Jesus. For me, it was the rugby crowd, the gang that I hang out with. Uh, What would they say? 
I remember agonizing over that for months before actually bending my knee and, and actually coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But I'm not alone. Um, if you think about the, the guy who was brought to Jesus um, by the four friends, okay, why, was he had, why, did he, why was he lowered in through the roof? Because he couldn't get him because of the crowd. The crowd got in the way. Blind Bartimaeus was shouted down by the crowd, but he, he kept shouting. Zacchaeus couldn't get to see Jesus because of the crowd, so he climbed a tree. The crowd, if they're that important to you, and I think remarkably it's not just for teenagers where the peer pressure comes in, the crowd has a huge effect on us as adults. What will these significant people in my life make of this? Sometimes people who aren't even significant, but somehow they have a sway over us. I'm always amazed as to why we would give people so much power over our lives. Are there people holding you back from walking with Jesus? Walking in his footsteps. Uh, in this narrative uh, that we've read this morning, I, I see three examples of crowd behavior. Uh, first one is in verse 1 of Mark chapter 4. It says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it uh, out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. They were fascinated. They were interested in this person who said remarkable things. That could be you. You could be here this morning because there's something being ignited in you and you think, there's something more here. I just need to, I need to learn. So thank you for being here. Appreciate it. But the second uh, is found in Mark chapter 5 and verse 14. And this is where Jesus is rejected by the crowd. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. I, I do find that fascinating, don't you? I, I could understand being afraid when this man was so possessed by Satan um, that uh, even they couldn't bind him with chains. I could understand why they'd be fearful then, but now when he's in his right mind and been restored, yet they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people who had happened to the, uh, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people, the crowd... <laughs> began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think the crowd pleaded with Jesus to leave? Why? Come on. They were, they were afraid. What were they afraid of, Ross? They'd not seen power like that, isn't it? And people are afraid of what they don't know, aren't they? You know, some of you who um, all of a sudden you're becoming part of the God Squad or, you know, you're a Bible basher because you start attending an Alpha or whatever. Some of your friends, they might be seeing some beautiful things in your character. But, ooh, something going on here. I want to read some familiar verses to you because this should not be an unusual thing that you're experiencing. Um, John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in Scripture. Um, 
let me read that verse and then read some of the verses that follow it. Because I think it's very telling. Because I don't think humanity's changed that much, you know. Technologically, we've sort of exploded on with incredible inventions. But in terms of our hearts, this is what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that the most glorious verse? That's truth. That's biblical truth. God loves you so much that he gave Jesus uh, for you. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I love that verse as much as I love verse 16. It's not about condemnation. It's about forgiveness, restoration, being part of God's family again. But it doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And there's a cutting point. You see, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Verse 19, this is the verdict, says Jesus. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They urged him to leave because they preferred darkness. A sad indictment on our world. But when you look at the darkness of this world, can anybody doubt that that's the case? So people were listening. People rejected him as crowds. Uh, but thirdly, I want you to see that the crowd almost crushed him. In Mark 5, verse 24, uh, we read, So Jairus, Jesus went with Jairus. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. The word literally means to compress. It's the picture of an apple in a press being squeezed until there's no juice left in it. As, as I thought of that language, I, I thought of the times I've tried to squeeze God into the mold of my making. For him to do what I want him to do. I'm reminded of uh, John and James' request of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. They said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. There is a big difference between having Jesus as Savior and another one for Jesus to be your Lord. I, I, I'm just convinced that so many of us want to get to that point of knowing that actually we have security of heaven for the future, but actually we refuse to bow the knee and allow his Lordship to reign in our lives. That's not Christianity. It's not discipleship. I want you to notice the contrast between those who are pressing in, those who are wanting to shape Jesus, to pressure Jesus. Contrast that with a lady who's had this health issue for 12 years. In Mark 5, 27, uh, it, it says, When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes I will be healed 
Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. I want to ask you the question, was she the only one that day not to touch him? She just wanted to touch his clothes. She wasn't pressing in on him. It's just enough for me just to be close enough just to touch the edge of his garment. I'm going to suggest to you that there's remarkable humility. You see, the attitude in which you approach Jesus this morning is absolutely key. You, you can be sat here and you can say to Jesus, go on, impress me. Go on, do a trick for me. Do a miracle. Or you can come and fall at your knees. And recognize his lordship. And come so humbly. And whenever you do that, Jesus knows those who reach out to touch him. He knows. And he responds. I've never been to Jerusalem. Uh, it's something I'd, I'd like to do before I die. Um, Apparently, there is a church in Bethlehem. As you know, they've stuck up churches everywhere where Jesus was supposed to have gone. It's one of the reasons I guess I've not gone, because I, I think it would just pollute my thoughts of, of what actually what happened back in the day. But anyway, there's a church there in Bethlehem where apparently Jesus was born. That's where the site of it was. Uh, nobody knows, of course. Um, but in this church, and this is the point I'm going to make, to actually get to that point where they think that that area was that he was born, to get into it, you have to bow down. Because you, you just can't get in at head height, especially a guy my size. You've got to bow down. And that's the same story for you this morning if you want to meet Jesus. I say this time, you won't meet him at head height. You, you look at all of the people in this story. They didn't meet Jesus at head height. They all came and fell at his feet. Whether it was the demonic, uh, whether it was Jairus's, Jairus pleading for his daughter or for, for this lady. If you come here this morning and you've got in your heart that you just want to touch the edge of his cloak, you've got a chance of meeting him. I just want to say here that, you know, there was a huge crowd pressing around Jesus. But only one person had an encounter. You know, you can have a private audience with Jesus in the midst of a crowd. Jesus doesn't look at the crowd. He looks at the one <laughs> reaching out. I want you to note the similarities in the story. Each of the main characters had nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. I looked up the definition of desperate. And uh, Welsh rugby fans came up in the definition, uh, by the way. Um, I looked up the definition of desperate, uh, and uh, one of the, uh, the definitions was moved by despair or utter loss of hope. I've often found that people become Christians at a crisis point. 
We see that in this passage. A desperate man, a possessed man, who has lost all control of his life. A desperate father wanting to do anything to save his daughter's life. A desperate woman who has spent her life savings to try to get well. Every character in this story is desperate. I was asking myself the question, would that woman have met Jesus that day if she still had a thousand pounds in the bank account? Or would she thought, I'll, I'll try just another medic? Because I've heard that th this one really, really is good. But she didn't have, she didn't have a brass farthing left. She'd, she was skint. She had nowhere else to go. The synagogue ruler, the religious types, if his daughter wasn't dying, do you think he would have gone and pleaded with Jesus? The man possessed by thousands of demons. I, I can't begin to imagine the utter despair of that person. He had sold his soul to the enemy. Do you know one of the things that just turns my stomach is the idea that you get more fun with Satan? He's the party animal. Uh, with God, you're just a boring old whatever that Will Carling said. It's just not true, is it? He'll say to them, just try a bit of heroin. It's, 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 it's great. It'll give you a real buzz, but actually it doesn't show them the path that he's leading them down to. Or just try a bit of this, try a bit of this, try a bit of that. And, uh, and the way they go targeting our kids. Or, or just try a little bit of pornography. Because, you know, oh, you know that's just tantalizing. That, that's, just, that's just fantastic. Just, just wet your appetite. Just, it's going to help you to be better in the bedroom and all that stuff. Destroys marriages. Destroys people. The enemy's got a great marketing department. But they never give you the truth about what the price really is. I, I wasn't desperate, actually, when I became um, a Christian. I, my life, I was just a boy. I was 15. I think I had everything. My mum and dad taking care of me. Um, if I needed clothes, they'd buy them for me. Um, I, if I needed a lift, they'd give me a lift. Do you, do you know what I mean? I, I, I had no real sort of pressures. But... But what I did know is that there, there was something in, in my heart uh, which was missing. Even at 15, I knew that. Uh, and so I started, to, I started to search because I needed to satisfy this ache. And I want to read a couple of quotes to you. Uh, one from uh, a guy who wrote, uh, he was a regular, uh, contributed to uh, um, a newspaper in our country. A man was called Bernard Levin. He said this, he said, Countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation. Understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside them, 
and that however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. A bit later, in a book he wrote called Life's Great Riddle, he said, in spite of my great success as a columnist for over 20 years, I feared that I might have wasted reality in the chase of a dream. He wrote, to put it bluntly, have I time to discover why I was born before I die? I've not managed to answer the question yet, and however many years I have before me, there's certainly not as many as there are behind. There is an obvious danger in leaving it too late. Why do I have to know why I was born? Because of course I'm unable to believe that I was an accident. And if it wasn't one, it must have a meaning. I'm not aware that he ever made a declaration of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But do you see about the ache and the void that he's talking about? It's common. Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, years earlier, in more quaint language, he wrote this. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. And we get the paraphrase from that quote, that there is a God-shaped hole in every heart. In Mark chapter 5, we're not told how the man came to be possessed with demons. I believe in demon possession. If you ask me, Dave, why do you believe in demon possession? Because Jesus did. And Jesus cast out demons, and he cast out thousands of demons from, from this man. But people usually get into bondage when they're looking for satisfaction outside of God himself. I want you to take a good look over this coming week of the man that's described in Mark chapter 5. He no longer resembled a man. He was more like a, a wild animal. In John chapter 10 verse 10, Jesus gives the enemy a job description. He said he comes to steal, to kill. He's not, he's not satisfied with killing. He comes to destroy. When you and I attempted to walk the path that the enemy would want us to walk and not the path of Jesus, remember what his job description is. He wants to steal God's joy from you. He wants to rob you of the life that is yours by right in Jesus Christ. And he wants to destroy you. What are you playing with that's giving authority to your enemy? What are you watching? What are you reading? 
What are you coveting? That gives the enemy the authority to step into your life. Because no demon can step into your life without your authority and without your invitation. Just, just the truth. We have to make ourselves available. And so I want to stay, say to you, stay away from tarot cards. Um, Sue and I will be going up to the Welsh show again this year. We always go to the Welsh show, and uh, one of the things that makes us cringe when we're there is actually this little caravan, um, and uh, just come in and I'll read, I'll read your palm or, or whatever. Stay away from that kind of stuff. Ouija boards, stay, stay, away, stay away from this stuff. And you might think it's just harmless fun. Then that speaks about your naivety and not about truth. Mediums, spiritualists, stay away. But can I also say that anything that elevates yourself above God and his lordship in your life gives key access points to, to the enemy. You, you know that you're in trouble when the most common word in your vocabulary is I. I want this. I deserve that. I, 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 I. And all it is, it just creates an access point for the enemy just to come and start the work of destruction. It starts slowly, but it builds up. Now, the good news, of course, is that Jesus has the authority to deal with this if you will come to him. And that's true for us this morning if we will come to him and, and give him our brokenness and, and give him uh, the stuff that we are not proud of. <laughs> The problem is, is that it takes humility to do that. Let me read verse uh, 1 to 6. Um, they went across the lake to the region of the, uh, the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. It wasn't his strength, you see, it was the strength of the demons within him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Self-harming is not new. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Some of us need to do that this morning. See the humility falls at Jesus' feet. That's what I did at the age of 15. I tell you, all I could see was my sin and the Savior who died there in my place. Unless you see that Jesus died for you, that, that you have no possibility of receiving his salvation. A person goes to the doctor because they know there's something wrong. I needed a great physician because I had sin I couldn't deal with. But he had dealt with it. And so as I wept at my bedside all those years ago, and I could see the darkness of my sin, the other picture was just this face of Jesus who bore my sin for me in my place. He was the substitute. And a transaction was made where he declared me not guilty. Not only not guilty, but he declared me to be righteous. You see, there's no accident that when these people from the surrounding area came to see this man, he was no longer naked. He was no longer in disgrace because Jesus had clothed him. 
And that's what he does to each of us. He takes our shame away. He actually had that nailed to the cross with him. He clothes us in his righteousness. He gives us back dignity. He gives us back hope. He washes the stains away. And so whilst we are all sinners here, we are sinners if we know Jesus, saved by grace. And he refers to us not as sinners, but as saints. Because we are sons and daughters of the living God. That's what I am. I've got to finish. And what Jesus said to this man, you can imagine, can't you? He, wanted to, he just wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus had totally transformed his life. He wanted everybody to know that. So he wanted to hang out with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, well, let's just read it. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Go back to your significant crowd and you be my representative. You tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the 10 cities of that region, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. When I was a younger man, I, I had a tradition on a Friday. I don't know if some of you have got this. But I'd always have fish on a Friday. Uh, but it had to be from a fish and chip shop because it couldn't be healthy. Um, and so I'd go to, there was a place in, there was a place in uh, Grimsby, I used to go, Cleethorpes actually, called Steels. And it was just fantastic. And, and I'd have my fish and chips and my pot of tea and my, my, uh, uh, my peas that were mushy peas, of course, and bread and butter. Um, but if I couldn't be in Cleethorpes, I'd go to the fish and chip shop in Lincoln. And fantastic fish and chips in Lincoln. And I was in there one day, and I've shared this story with you before, but I share because this is what happened when Jesus really breaks into your life. There was a woman behind the fryer, and you could see she was just absolutely beaming. And I said to her, I said, hey, I said, why are you so happy? She said, I've got everything to be happy. She said, Jesus is Lord of my life in the middle of this fish and chip shop. And I'm thinking, I'm a Christian, but I'm thinking, I just feel a bit embarrassed by what you just said now. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, um, that's wonderful. Can I have lots of salt and vinegar on that, please? And she goes, I was dying of cancer. She said, I had breast cancer. She said, the doctors had totally given up to me. She said, oh, I went to a meeting. She said, I didn't even know if I believed in this kind of stuff. I met with Jesus. He healed me. I've been to the medics. They've told me I'm completely cured. And the cue is like... <laughs> and she didn't give a hoot. Why? Because she'd encountered the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And it had changed her life. And it had literally given her life. Do you know the thing I found fascinating? I actually went around and we had a hug. It was just, it was actually an emotional time. Uh, because whenever you meet people so full alive with Jesus, it, it, it's emotional, isn't it? You can't be sort of pan-faced about it. Um, she didn't want to talk about the healing. She wanted to talk about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Oh. Um, Thank you for those of you who've dropped me a line uh, to say you're going to pray for us as we go, go off. Uh, 
just pray I'll get more Jesus. I just want to be filled and filled and filled more with Jesus. So when I come back and um, start serving here again, that you'll know that Sue and I have been hanging out with the Lord. Because I, I know that that's what you guys need, but actually that's what everybody around us, those significance in our crowd, that's what they need. Sometimes we've got to get desperate before we recognize that. I, I, I'm very conscious that we're, we're in a part, part of the world where a lot of the times it's difficult to be desperate because we have so many toys. So I, I, think, it's, I think it's particularly hard for some of us. But you know, um, my prayer for you as soon as I uh, head off tomorrow is that you, like us, will hang out with Jesus. And then when we come back, you'll be able to tell us stories about the remarkable things that God has been doing through you and under the leadership of John Linforth uh, and others on the leadership team. Are you going to approach him with the same attitude of these three individuals? With that humble desperation that unless you move, unless you move, nothing will change. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you uh, for the people that you've called us to serve amongst. I, I ask, Lord, that for each of us, that you would help us to reach out to you with the degree of humility that we need and allow you to be exalted. You know us through and through. You know where we're at this morning. Help us, we pray, to not allow the enemy to rob any more of what is rightfully ours, but allow you to restore and rebuild, refresh. Help us to be bridges for others. Help us to be like that boat that carried Jesus over to that man. Help us to take lots of people in that boat so they can meet Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Amen.